appreciate that, Brother Robbie. You guys got to commend Brother Robbie. Give him a, a little bit of a shout out. Give him a, a good pat on the back if you get a chance. He is just back from Camp Bimmy, training to be a missionary. I had just a moment to talk to him before. Looking forward to hearing more, Brother Robbie. But uh, sounded like it went well. He's already excitedly telling me what's next. And again, we only had a moment to talk. But uh, he's barely back from, from that, serving the Lord there, and uh, already jumping right back in and uh, singing. I think he drove a van and picked some folks up today for the evening service as well. So appreciate that, Brother Robbie. Appreciate each of you making the time to come on out here on a, a rather warm day and uh, a busy weekend, I'm sure. Now, some of you, I say busy weekend, some of you are planning to just enjoy a day off tomorrow, relax and all of that, and I don't blame you if you do, but uh, either way, appreciate you coming tonight, appreciate my parents being here, we're uh, putting them to hard work next week, uh, they, they get to watch the girls, so, um, uh, you know, I don't know, pray for the grandparents, pray for my girls, either way, I think, oh, Addison, I don't know, I don't know how to read Addison's look there, anyway, no, we're real grateful for my folks being able to be down, be at the service tonight, and uh, be with the girls while we go to camp, please do pray for uh, the teens at camp, our group, and uh, each group as we travel. Uh, I don't know how far away anybody's coming, so maybe some even leaving today, like we used to do driving to Florida, but uh, definitely a lot traveling in the morning. We leave right around noon tomorrow, and only a three-hour drive, so not bad at all. But uh, I, I tell you, there are a lot of adults that are who they are today because of decisions made at camp or a revival service, or, you know, any other opportunity. But a lot of times it's when you can get away from the normal flow of life. The camp even has them turn their cell phones into us. I always promise not to send out too many random texts on their phones. No, we just turn them off. But uh, they, they get away from their normal flow of life and just enjoy some time together, having fun, enjoy some time with the Lord. It really is a great opportunity, and I look forward to what the Lord will do. And if you'll join us in prayer, that will be awesome. So we leave tomorrow, coming back around 1.30 or so on Saturday, so gone for about six days there, and uh, it really is a great camp. Most of you would have met Brother Carsley, the, uh, the head, the founder of the camp, and uh, a lot of the staff. I will say pray for Joel Tilly. He's been having a great summer at the camp, got to go down early and help get the camp ready. Uh, he's in his second week. I talked to him at the wedding last Last Saturday, he was doing great, so pray that we don't spoil his great summer while we're there representing his church, uh, his home church there, but no, I think things are going real well, and we look forward to camp. Well, I think this morning, I was just sitting there counting just a moment ago, I think this morning's title had 15 words in it. Tonight, we're continuing through Jude with the one-word title of Convinced, and I think for Jude, that's enough of a title. I hope we come here having been convinced of the truth of God's Word for years even. And if not, I hope you'll leave convinced that this is the word. This is what we need for our life. This is all things pertaining to life and godliness and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But even if you are like, hey, I've known that. I've been saved for a long time, Pastor Kent. I hope we'll leave convinced that it needs to show up in our life more. And as there are more and more people around us that are not convinced, even convinced that it's not true and opposing the truth of God's word, that we'll be willing to take a stand, that we'll have it show up in our lives more and more. We'll mainly be in verses 4 through, maybe make it to 13 tonight, but let's get a running start starting in Jude verse 1. Again, any chapter you want in the book of Jude, only the one chapter there. Jude verse 1, chapter 1 verse 1 if you want to say it that way. But Jude says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, 
mercy unto you, and peace, and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should content, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the own Lord, only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5 starts out, I will therefore put you in remembrance. And we'll jump off on that in just a minute. But I read this story. A boy wanted to learn about jade. And so he went to study with a talented teacher. This gentle older teacher put a piece of the precious stone in the boy's hand and told him to hold it tight. Then he began to talk about philosophy, men, women, the sun, almost anything else. After an hour, he took back the stone and sent the boy home. The procedure was repeated for several weeks. The boy became frustrated. When would he be told about the jade? He was too polite, however, to question the wisdom of his venerable teacher. Then one day, when the old man put a stone into his hands, the boy cried out instinctively, that's not jade. May we know the word of God that well. May we know it with that familiarity, like we've spent hours holding it, hours reading it, even recently, that when we hear something that contradicts the Bible, we say, that's not true. That's not the word of God. The boy hadn't really done much other than just hold Jade, spend time with that stone. And so he knew it. Are we convinced that we need to spend that much time with the word of God, that we'll know it, that we'll be convinced of what it says so we can recognize there? Let's know the truth, know our Bible so well that we can't help but recognize there when something is different. Let's pray, and we'll continue on through the book of Jude. Father God, thank you for the privilege to be here tonight. Thank you for those who were able to come out. A lot of folks, we think of our pastor and his family and many others traveling, and I do pray for safety. Some folks away on vacation, I pray for your blessing on them. I pray that as we study Jude, and tonight, especially in this part of the, the book, as we look at a lot who were teaching anything but the truth, that we'll be so convinced of the truth that we want to know it more, and we can recognize error and stand against it. May we be convinced of our own need for you. I hope that's what we came here for. I hope that's how we came in the doors. But maybe we be, may we be even more convinced of you and your word and our need for you in our daily lives as we leave tonight. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First of all, we need to be convinced that there are some things that are just plain wrong. A lot of our society likes to say that anything goes, except biblical Christianity. They'll, they'll include that. And they'll blame us for saying things are wrong while clearly saying that we're wrong. I've never wrapped my mind around that logic. I've run into it before. But we need to be so convinced that this is the truth, that if there's anything else out there, we're going to say, nope, that doesn't work. That's not going to be in my life, not going to be in my family. That's not true. We read it a moment ago, but let's look at verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares, into the church at that point, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord God, of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And really, I even thought about titling tonight's message with this, but uh, the girls have a song on uh, one of their CDs that they like to listen to in the car. I haven't listened to it for a little while, but it's about how sin is the scariest thing. And it's kind of a silly song, but it's a great reminder for kids. And I love the end of the song after talking about sin being scary and it'll mess up your life and we just need to not do it. It just says, stay away from it. Don't do it. 
If only those false teachers would have had that simple logic from a kid's song. And if only the people in Jude's day would have been a little quicker to stand against it, this wouldn't have taken root in the church. But he's convinced of the truth, convinced that what they're doing is wrong, and helping them weed out the false teachers. It says they were crept in. We often won't fall for obvious errors, but we'll allow a subtle slide away from the truth one day at a time, one decision at a time, one little bit at a time. And before we know it, we've gotten a long ways away from the truth of God's word in our own lives. You could think of it as in a family, but certainly in our own individual lives and our own nation as well. I don't uh, eat frog, but I've heard the best way to cook a frog or a way to cook a frog is to put it in some lukewarm water. I'm the guy at the wild game dinners that eats chicken. I'll just be honest with y'all. So if you eat frog, you can correct me on this later if I'm wrong. But I've heard if you put it in a pot of water, slowly turn the heat up. Frog's alive and well for a while. No lid on the pot that he won't jump out as long as it only gets a little warmer at a time. Now, again, I've had frog, not my thing. You can correct me if that's not true. But I guarantee you that's a lot of times how churches, how individuals, how families drift away from God. Someone comes in and says, wow, let's jump into this blatant sin. We say, no, of course not. But it's when it's got a little bit of truth mixed in. It's when it creeps in kind of the back door or the side door. We think if we're standing against, if we're convinced of the air of, of some wicked sins that we're doing our job, but we've got to watch out for what's creeping into our homes as well. It's amazing to me um, what lengths I will go to, and Miss Jen as well, will go to to uh, make sure something that the girls are watching is clean. And we're not perfect. It was a simple, innocent-as-can-be cartoon show that got nixed the other day because there was something completely inappropriate in it. I won't worry about naming the show or anything like that right now. But as kidsy and innocent as could be until it wasn't. That, I guess, had crept into our house, but nope, that ain't staying, so they're never watching that show again. But we'll, uh, we'll go to, like, kidsinmind.com, and that's a website that'll tell you it's Christian-based. It'll tell you how many curse words or any violence or any sexual content, anything inappropriate in a movie, and we'll look at that before we'll even watch it, we'll, before we'll let the girls watch it, and we'll try to make sure things aren't creeping in. Sometimes it's a wicked sin that tries to beat down the front door, kick it in, and charge into our homes, but sometimes... It's the subtle things that try to creep in little by little. It says they crept in unawares. Let's be convinced that we need to stay on guard. That was Jude's challenge to these people, that they needed to watch out for these false teachers and these false doctrines that were creeping in and even catching people unawares. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be sober or serious, be vigilant, be on guard, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I often remind teenagers and myself that that word devour is important. We'll think that Satan wants to creep in unawares, get a little foot in the door so he can trip us up a little bit. No, he wants to destroy us. He hates Christians absolutely wants to destroy us. So we'll think, oh, it's only a little problem. I know my kids shouldn't watch this. Maybe I know I shouldn't watch this. Or, or again, maybe it's not movies for you. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's your closest friend, some other influence. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Maybe you know in some way what the Bible says and you're drifting away from it because that's easier for you. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It won't take me that far. Satan wants to absolutely destroy marriages, destroy families, destroy Christians, because that's what he's after. I was thinking lately of, uh, I mean, again, I'm so grateful for July 4th, for our independence, for our freedoms, for all those who have fought and died. 
But I was thinking of the battle at Pearl Harbor. And I'm no history buff. I don't know all of the details. Uh, some of you might have even been there. But obviously, the radar wasn't watched as closely as it should have been. Can you imagine when they got everything back up and running? Now, that was probably a long time later. But can you imagine being the radar operator the first day, the first hour that it's back up and running after that attack at Pearl Harbor? That guy, he wouldn't sneeze, probably. He was probably just glued. He probably didn't blink. He is glued to that radar. Not happening again on my watch. We're not missing some planes. We're not misinterpreting it. We are going to know if we are under attack. We are on it. Nobody is going to catch us unawares. I've not looked into that, but I can only imagine how closely they were paying attention. That's how closely we need to be paying attention. That's how closely we need to be on it. We need to be guarding, not just for our kids. Maybe you don't even have kids, but for ourselves, for our hearts, our lives. Because these people that creep in unawares, these false teachers and influencers, they look the part. They'll say the right words, but they have their own agenda. We don't need new truth. We need to follow and even contend for the truth we already have. We have all of the truth that we need. We have God's complete word. They were turning the grace of our God. Now, we'll look at what they were turning it into, and I'm spending a while on verse 4 before we move on a little faster, because this is kind of what it's all about. But they were turning the grace of God. I feel like that kind of sums it up. They were wanting to twist it. And if we turn scripture, if we twist it, we'll wring the meaning right out of it. They were trying to use it for their own gain. And we'll look at a lot of examples in just a moment about it. But they were trying to twist it into, oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal with this. Or, or you know, we can do it this way and it goes against God's word. And we can say, oh, how could they do that? But if we're not careful, we'll try to twist the meaning of some scripture as well to make us make it fit our lives. There have been entire cults, entire false religions that have started because of one verse being twisted. And you look at it, that's where it all began, one phrase in one verse. Obvious what it means if you know your Bible. They rejected it, twisted one verse, and they're way off course. There have been individuals who have done that as well. Let's be careful to be true to what the Word of God says. Let's be convinced that we need it. Uh, they were turning the grace of God into lasciviousness or license. I'll be honest, it's fun to be told that you can do whatever you want to do, but it doesn't end very well. You can guess how often that's what I tell my girls, that they can do whatever they want to do. Nope, that's not what I tell them. I think they're agreeing. I don't know. But uh, you might think, you might like a diet coach that told you you could eat nothing but junk food, but the results would be terrible. We, we might enjoy preaching that never steps on our toes spiritually. But if it encourages us to go against God, it's got to go. And I'm grateful for our preacher, Pastor John, who's willing to, to preach the hard messages. That's what Jude's doing here. He just wanted to talk about co the common salvation. Let's just encourage everybody that we're saved. But he had some things to challenge him about. He had some toes he needed to step on. That's the way God was directing him. And I'm grateful for Pastor John, grateful for so many Sunday school teachers and leaders who will stand for the truth. They were denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Several of the most popular, and I'll put it in quotes, preachers, because they're not preaching the Bible, they will deny the gospel and clear teaching of Scripture. But I'll be honest, a lot of Christians like them and follow them because they're easy to listen to and they're fun. And they'll be on this talk show or that talk show or even in their own church denying that Jesus is the only way to heaven. No, if they're going to deny our Lord Jesus Christ, they don't have any part in influencing us or our kids, our families. I like how one pastor put our job. We need to guard, to protect, 
to curate the truth that is settled, to curate it as in show it off, put it on display, not deciding if we like it or deciding if it's relevant or if it needs to be updated. There's not a need for new revelation. There's a need to contend for what has already been given. Let's be convinced, and I know we spent a while on this point, but let's be convinced that some things are just plain wrong, and they're not going to be in our church, they're not going to be in our lives, in our homes, they're not going to work, it's not going to happen. Next, we need to be convinced that a life of victory is possible, but not guaranteed for Christians. This point is for Christians. Heaven is guaranteed. If you're saved, you are on your way to heaven, guaranteed, mark it down, count it. But a life of victory, a life of spiritual victory, honestly, that's every day we're walking toward that or walking away from it. Jude verse 5 says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Uh, most scholars would agree, and I absolutely do, that the promised land was not a picture of eternity in heaven for the people of Israel, but a picture of the victorious Christian life. God brought them out of slavery, brought them out of Egypt, but those who rejected him did not ever get to go to the promised land. The promised land was available to them, but it wasn't a guarantee. Those who rejected God's plan murmured and complained, wanted to go back to Egypt. They never got it. And there are Christians today, there were Christians in Jude's day, who they're on their way to heaven. Maybe they would contend against flagrant air, someone who would deny that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But they're not experiencing the victorious Christian life because they are allowing other things to creep in and take away their focus, take away where they are convinced they need to be. We need to be convinced that it was God during those times that brought them out of Egypt, and it's God that we need now. It's been said that salvation isn't just a ticket to heaven, that should affect how we, but it's something that should affect how we live from that day forward. We need to keep moving forward, keep going instead of sitting, soaking, and getting sour. I was reminded recently after seeing a lot of pictures from uh, Uganda, that missions trip, we'd been here for about five months at the time, just talking to someone about how little Brooklyn and Addison were, and uh, they got to stay with my folks, I, I think in Pennsylvania that time, and you brought them down, and I still remember pulling in uh, and seeing them after about nine days, and that was challenging. But in Uganda, we were in a very safe part of the country, but that country had just faced a horrible civil war. We got to minister a little bit to some of the young people that were in that civil war. We literally were told, coming into this one orphanage, hey, some of these teens, they're going to be nice to you. They like Americans. They get all that. They're glad you're here. But yeah, they've killed people in war. And they're teenagers. I mean, no older than some of the ones we're taking to camp tomorrow. But we were told how this militant renegade general was able to gather more and more troops during that war. He'd kidnap young boys, young teens, put a gun in their hands, get them to kill someone, and then convince them that they were part of his battle and couldn't quit. God would never do that to us. He'd never convince us to do wrong or to kill someone, but he did come down to earth and be willing to die in our place. If we're, if we're convinced of that, we should willingly get busy doing everything we can for him contending for the truth, and living the life of victory he wants for us. It shouldn't take someone guilt-tripping us. We should be excited, grateful, not by constraint, but be willing to serve God. We should be convinced that a life of victory is possible, but not guaranteed for Christians. Many of those Israelites coming out of Egypt never made it to the promised land, and you can guarantee they spent those 40 years wishing they could, wishing for one more chance. 
You and I, we're alive, we're breathing, we've got another chance for spiritual victory. We've got another chance to have that victory today. Let's be convinced of it and go after it. Next, we should be convinced um, that we should remember what we have in Christ instead of looking for something else. By the way, being convinced of what we have instead of looking for something else, that's pretty good marriage advice too. Not really going to talk about marriage right now, but uh, be grateful for your spouse if you're married. And whether it's been a week or, or years and years and years, that was a good look you were giving each other. That was good. But uh, let's be thankful for what we have, not looking for something else. But in Christ, let's remember who he is and what he's given to us. A bad example of this is in Jude verse 6. It says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under, the darkness, under darkness unto the judgment of the, of the great day. These were angels who started in heaven, created as heavenly beings. And there's some debate about whether this passage is just talking about Satan and uh, those angels that followed him became demons, you know, as they got kicked out of heaven and left their habitation, or even a specific group of them mentioned in Genesis 6. I think that kind of fits with the uh, in chains and all. But either way, these are people, these are beings, excuse me, angels, demons, that were given a lofty position, a high position. Satan really given the highest position of all next to God. And they devalued even the best positions. We have been given an amazing position in Christ. We talked about that freedom this morning. And we are friends of God. We are his children. We're his sons. We're his daughters. We, we have been saved. We've been forgiven. We are loved. And yet even then, it's easy enough to devalue that position and go looking for something else. We are free to live for Christ, and if we remember who we are in Him, we won't need to constantly think about ourselves, but can instead get busy serving Him. By the way, those false teachers, just because they read from the Bible, certain verses anyway, doesn't mean they were following Jesus. And there are pastors, there are preachers, there are teachers, there are people all over the Internet. They'll sound like a Christian, they'll look like a Christian, they'll even sprinkle some Scripture in very selectively. But they don't belong being people we follow. They don't belong being people we would allow to influence us. Those demons rejected what God had given them and are being punished for it. Let's behave like who we are, not aspire to be something we're not. Again, we're the children of God. We're forgiven. We're heirs with Christ. Let's be convinced that we should remember what we have instead of looking for something else. Next, let's be convinced that we're not invincible. To be convinced that we're not invincible. Verse 7 says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And again, these are a lot of people groups, a lot of examples from the Old Testament that the people in Jude's day would be very familiar with. I think there's a big challenge to us, a couple thousand years later, to still be familiar with them. Isn't it nice to learn from other people's experience? They say experience is the best teacher. Isn't it nice to learn from somebody else's bad experience than to have to go through a bad experience yourself? I've been on both sides of that. But uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, now you might be thinking of the, the wicked sexual immorality, homosexuality that they did and thinking, really, that, that's not me? And I hope it's not. But at the root of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, and really largely what's in view here, it was pride. They were a very prosperous city. They had very full bellies. They had plenty. 
And it led to a rejection of God and a reliance on themselves. And again, like we talked about this morning, a doing whatever they wanted. So hopefully we would never fall into the, the gross sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, there's certainly a warning there. But let's never get so prideful to think that we wouldn't fall into sin. And let's never get so prideful to think we don't need God and we can do whatever we want. One pastor said it this way, when fleshly lusts rage, reason surrenders. Let's be convinced that we need the word of God to show us some boundaries, some stop signs. Okay, Satan's tempting me to go that way. Stop. Not doing that. Not going there. This is where God says to be. This is where I'm going to be. We need to be convinced we're not invincible. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah thought they were. And that city got wiped. Those cities got wiped out because of their sin. We need to be convinced that truth comes from the Bible. And by the way, some of what we'll look at is the fact that truth comes from the Bible. That means if the Bible says it, that is even more important than our personal experience. Uh, there are a lot of people that will be like, well, I uh, had this dream. That's what they had. Uh, the false teachers will talk about it. And, and it said this. And you can be like, well, it doesn't say that in the Bible. The Bible says that's not true. I'm like, well, I saw it in a dream. Or I had this experience. That might be true for you, but it's not truth for me. No, this is truth for everybody. Well, let's be convinced of that. Let's hold on to that. Jude verse 8. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. They were dreamers, maybe even literally claiming, well, I saw this revelation in a dream, and it wasn't from God. Let's always test everything by the word of God. I'll be honest. I know God did speak, especially in some Old Testament times, through some dreams. But have you ever had a dream that you were convinced, that ain't from God? I've had a lot of dreams. I'm like, I don't know what I ate last night, but there's nothing spiritual. There's nothing deep. There's nothing scriptural. That was just weird. But some people will try to say, I had this personal experience. Well, does it line up with scripture? One lady had a decision to make. She was going to maybe get on a plane and fly and uh, go on this trip. I, I don't remember if it was a missions trip or what. And she was really just waiting to see. I don't know. I hope she was also digging into the scriptures, but waiting to see if she should go. And she woke up one morning, looked at her clock, and it said 747. So she got on the jet. 747 airplane. Uh, so she took that as a sign. Well, I sure hope... I think that's a true story, but I sure hope that she had dug into the scripture and seen whether God was leading her in that direction or not. But do our, our dreams, maybe not while we're sleeping, but what we dream of being, what we dream of doing, do our dreams line up with the scripture? If not, they're nightmares in the making. These false teachers, they elevated personal experience above the word of God. Let's live by a simple philosophy. If anything contradicts the Bible, it's wrong because the Bible is right. Let's be so convinced that truth comes from the Bible that anything, personal experience, someone even we respect saying something, we're going to search the scriptures to see if it lines up. Next, let's be convinced that we need to lovingly stand for the truth. Let's keep it in the right way. Verse 9 says, Yet Michael the archangel, very powerful angel, very powerful being, yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Keep in mind, that thankfully you and I don't have to literally stand face to face, toe to toe with Satan in physical form, but God's the source of power, not us. We don't need to be able to defeat Satan on our own, and we shouldn't try to, but we can stand on the word which gives us power and authority. I've heard it put this way. I love my kids, so I'll keep them from danger. 
Uh, we, I, I don't like snakes. I try to make it very, very clear that Lundy's don't like snakes. I think that goes for my parents as well. Um, uh, you can ask uh, them about their, their other son, uh, my brother Paul. And uh, one time when uh, he saw a snake with his, at the time, pregnant wife, um, yeah, suffice it to say, there uh, only stayed two feet on the ground, and it wasn't Kristen's. It was, or it was Kristen's, excuse me. My brother, I think, uh, you know, kind of uh, jumped on her back to stay away from a snake. Lundies don't like snakes. Lundies don't like snakes. Well, we saw one in our chicken coop. Well, it was Jen did. Jen did, and uh, she came in, and okay, I'm, I'm to the point where, okay, if it's only about as big around as my pinky, only 18 inches long, that's okay. And I, I took that snake out. Um, I'll also be honest with you, if I see a bigger one, it's going down, but I might be calling some of you that are braver with snakes than I am to help. Um, I was mowing around the back of the property, and it was just around the edge just to keep a, a, an area mowed, and I saw a snake skin. Now, some of you would have been like, oh, cool, and picked it up. No, I don't even do that. There was a snake in that at one point. I don't even want to do that. But that thing, I mean, it was big around. It was long. It was back on the brush pile, the, the wood pile back there if you want to go look. The worst part is I looked for it later and couldn't find it, so that has me even more creeped out. But uh, I, I care about my, my family enough that if that thing comes at me, I'm going to get rid of it, maybe by calling somebody. But this stuff, I'm going to contend for the truth, but let's do it wisely. Some people can think, how do we deal with satanic influences, even if, whether it would ever be in our church or in our family or just in society, how could we do it? And I love how... This says it. In contending for the faith, we don't have to come up with our own arguments. How can we contend for the faith? No matter how convinced we are of the truth, how can we stand against the evil tide that seems to be sweeping across our nation and our world? God's power, God's word is the power. It's not our abilities. It's not our, oh, I just, I worded that argument just right. No, no, no. Let's stand on the authority of God. And if he tells us to say something, let's say it. His is the authority. Michael, the archangel himself, couldn't have defeated Satan. But God can. God can without even trying. God has. Satan is defeated. And even all of the evil we see in the nation and the world around us is no match for God and the word of God. Let's stand on the truth. And you might be like, well, okay, so tomorrow, or Tuesday, if you go back to work, uh, how in the world can I stand for the truth? What will I say? Stay the truth. Stand on the word of God. He'll give you the power. He'll give you the authority. God's word is the power, not our own ability or forcefulness. Uh, I, I love in studying this out about the body of Moses, and we won't go too deep into that, but really in so many ways, the body of Moses that Satan was uh, trying to fight for, I guess, there, we don't know everything that means, but the body of Moses stood for everything Moses stood for to the Jewish people, just like we're to stand for the body of truth. Michael, the archangel, he, he wasn't even going to say, oh, yeah, Moses, he got buried over there, and, and even let him do that. And I love the fact that God even preserved the body of Moses in that way. He didn't let Satan even go after him there. To remember that our job is to contend, to make it clear where we stand and what we believe. If we'll lovingly stand for the truth, wisely stand for the truth, God will use it. Let's be convinced that we need to stand for the truth. Next, let's be convinced that God's way is way better than what comes naturally. Jude verse 10, it says, But these speak evil of those things which they know not. These false teachers, they speak evil of things which they know not. But what they know naturally, as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. So really, in many ways, acting like wild animals. And we could say, oh, I would never do that. Have you ever heard the expression? Have you ever lived the expression, just follow your heart? You'll never go wrong. 
You ever follow your heart and go wrong? I have followed my heart and gone wrong. Um, it's tempting every evening. I, I get the girls tucked in, Jen and I relaxing, maybe watching something. I want to follow my heart and eat whatever I want. That doesn't always work well, even on a small little thing like that. And person after person will say, I'll just follow your heart as long as you realize your dreams, your life will have meaning, it'll have purpose, it'll be great. That's what these people were doing, going after whatever they wanted, these false teachers. And they were ruining themselves and so many others. We don't want who we are naturally. We want who we are in Christ. We want to be able to live out a life guided by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever followed your heart as your heart is being led by the Holy Spirit? That's when we're on to something. These people, I mean, basically just acting like brute beasts, just animals, just going after whatever they wanted, taking it by force, no doubt, if they needed to, taking it by, by being tricky, doing whatever they needed to. Let's be convinced that God's way is way better Let's be convinced that it's all about God, not me. And we get some good examples here in verse 11. And there's a lot here. We'll try to unpack it fairly quickly. But Jude 11 says, woe unto them. And I love what it says before we even go any farther. I've heard the, this quote from a pastor. My life will either be a well done or a woe. It's Matthew 25, 21. It says uh, about uh, the faithful servant that his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We can get to heaven and hear, Well done from our God. Or our life can be a woe. Stop. What are you doing? Woe unto them, back to Jude 11. For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. Korah. Those are three Old Testament characters and, and things we'll look at just briefly. But if we'll be convinced that it's all about God, not about me, we'll be able to avoid these mistakes. First of all, the way of Cain. Our, our lives should be about God, not pride. Back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, you don't have to turn there. It says, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his, his countenance fell. Again, we're not going to unpack everything in that. And then Cain goes on to murder Abel. We won't even dive into that. And some Bible scholars will say that Cain's offering was rejected because it wasn't a blood sacrifice to atone for sin. And that very well may be the case. But bloodless sacrifices were later accepted and even commanded as long as they weren't an atoning sacrifice. So maybe it was that. Maybe this was, uh, could have been an acceptable sacrifice. We don't know. Others say that Cain just brought whatever, not his best, of the fruit of the ground, not the best of the fruit of the ground. Maybe just some extra veggies he had lying around. So I don't know for sure which of those it is. Maybe you are absolutely convinced of one way or another. I've, I've been there. I think I've been absolutely convinced of both of those views before in my life. But either way, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but either way, the way of Cain has been described as religion based on what I want, not what God said, on pride and emphasis on my way, my abilities, what calls attention to me. Cain wanted the attention, and you look at it, he gets corrected by God. And instead of saying, oh, God, I'm so sorry, let me go get a better sacrifice. Let me go get what I should have gotten the first time. He gets mad and goes and kills his brother. You look at that heart. It's all about him, my way, getting that. I think that's the way of Cain, an emphasis on my abilities. 
Many of you serve around here at the church. Many of you are active in witnessing and in doing different things. I hope you're not doing it your way and your abilities going after the way of Cain. Next, we see Balaam's example. And really, that's an example of why it should be, our lives should be about God, not greed, not stuff, not materialism. Going all the way back to Numbers chapter 22 and verse 6, there was the, uh, the king of Moab, a wicked nation. Uh, he wanted to wipe out Israel. And uh, Balaam had the reputation of being a prophet, basically, who could curse someone, and they'd be cursed, or bless them, and they'd be blessed. And in verse 6, it says, Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. Curse God's people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land, for I what or know not, uh, what or know, that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. Skipping down to verse 12, Balaam asked God, verse 12, And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go up with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. God made it very clear. I know they're offering you rewards, Balaam. I know they're offering you honor. Don't do it. Don't go up. Don't curse my people. Balaam goes on uh, to ask God again. God ends up letting him go, but tells him to bless. Balaam is offered honor and rewards and that's why you ask God again. So let me just ask you, are your beliefs for sale? Balaam's in so many ways were. God lets Balaam go up, but by that point, Balaam's own donkey is more in tune with God than Balaam himself. If you haven't read that story uh, lately in Numbers 22, you should. I remember uh, Jen saying many times that uh, that was one of the most unbelievable and exciting stories to her about the talking donkey when she first got saved as a teenager. I... Uh, I grew up in church. I probably saw that on a flannel graph. I don't know if in my mom's Sunday school class or kindergarten class, but I've told the church, Mom, that I think flannel graphs need to make a comeback. I, I like a good flannel graph. My mom agrees. Anyway, but I got to hear that from young up. But he goes after the way of Balaam. He goes for reward. He had obviously served God previously, but seemed to look at service for God, at least here, with the question, what's in it for me? Have you ever asked God that? Maybe not out loud. Maybe you would never be so bold as to ask God what's in it for me out loud. But that's why you're wanting to serve God. I've been there. And this is something to watch out for. We don't want to go after the way of Cain where it's in pride. We don't have to want to go after the way of Balaam where it's what's in it for me. Trying to please God and get a reward. Trying to please God and do what I want to do. So let me ask you, why do you serve God? First of all, I hope you do. I hope you do serve God. But if so, why do you teach that Sunday school class? Why are you in the choir? Why do you drive a bus or a van? Why do you work on the tech and media team? Why do you witness? Why do you share your faith? Why do you live for God? Is it to get a reward like Balaam sought after? Let me ask it this way. What would it take to make you quit? You keep serving God and all of a sudden the blessing seems to stop. Maybe because God's got something even bigger in mind to bless you. But are you ready to quit? Balaam was. Would you serve God for no immediate reward? I hope you would. Let's look at one more example here. And that was Korah's example. Korah and those with him were people who did not follow God's appointed authority. They wanted them. They wanted me. They wanted my way. It's back in Numbers 16, verse 1. It says, Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and of Dathan, and Abiram, and the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. Would have been bad enough if it was one guy. It's all these people. And they rose up before Moses, 
with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. They are challenging God's appointed authority. And again, you can read that entire chapter, that entire account. But uh, Moses basically puts it to a challenge and uh, says, hey, let's put it to a test. If God wipes you out, I guess you were wrong. And it wasn't you that should have been serving alongside me. They challenged God's authority. Notice in verse 31. It says, and it came to pass as he made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder, it opened up, that was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up in their houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all of their goods. Let's be so convinced that it's about God, not about me, that it'll be hard for Satan to tempt us with greed. It'll be hard to, for Satan to tempt us to question God-given authority. By the way, was Moses perfect? No, neither are your authorities, neither are mine. So don't look at it and say, well, God put them there, but they're not perfect, so I don't have to follow them. No, no, no. God's authority is from God. Let's follow Korah, learn from Korah's example, and be convinced that it's all about God, not about me. We'll uh, stop there for this evening, but let me just ask you just a question or two as we close, and uh, we'll pick back up there next week, I believe, with verses, uh, verse 13. But are you convinced? of the truth? Are you so convinced of the truth of the Word of God that you're ready to stand against anything else? Do you know the truth well enough that you can easily recognize error? I imagine all of us should answer no to that second question, that we can't always recognize error, we don't know the Bible well enough, and we should get to know our Bible more and more. We should be busy learning more. So that way, we know it so well, anything else comes down the line. I'm like, no, I'm not falling for that. That's a trick. That's a trap. No way I'm doing that. That doesn't line up with Scripture. Let's get to know our Bible more and more so we can recognize the truth. We can contend against error, even errors within the church if that happens. That was what Jude was dealing with and challenging these people to deal with. Let's pray, and then I hope you'll be able to come outside just past the playground. We've got a couple of tables with some watermelon, I believe, all ready to go. Hope you can spend just a few minutes fellowshipping with us. And again, thank you for coming tonight. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the example of Jude. There's a lot here. Kind of a heavy chapter, heavy, heavy passage. But I pray that we will be so convinced of the truth of you and of your word that we'll recognize anything that's not. And we'll contend for the faith. We'll contend for the truth. Help us to do that wisely, lovingly. Give us wisdom. Maybe there's something you've pointed out to, to some of us, maybe all of us, that needs to change in our own lives that doesn't match up with the truth. May we contend for the truth in our own lives, our own hearts, first and foremost. Maybe there's someone who we need to witness to, even though we, might, we know it might not go well. I pray that we'll be so convinced of the truth that we know they need you, they need the gospel, that we'll be willing to do it, even if they reject you, even if they reject us. I pray that we will be a church, we will be individuals that are convinced of you and of your truth. We thank you. I pray that you'll bless our fellowship. Bless many with a lot going on here July 4th weekend. Maybe a lot of plans tomorrow. I pray for your help. Do pray for your blessing on us as we go to camp. I pray that you'll use it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Again, hope you can stay for uh, Watermelon. Watermelon.